When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, we're back with our Odyssey brethren today. Uh, We're very (laughs) excited to welcome in to start the pod Ryan Hickey, who is the Host of the Blue Horseshoe Pod up in Indianapolis. Of course, Colts and Commanders coming up on Sunday. Ryan, what's up, man? How you guys doing? Thanks so much for having me on. We're doing great. Uh, it's It's been an interesting week, as it seemingly always is. Uh, it's the matchup of the bickering owners. It's not the matchup of the former quarterback. Um, what, what to you, though, because, you know... You guys got the quarterback change up there. Like, what's the lead storyline from the indie perspective going into this game? Is it like Ursay Snyder? Is it Ellinger? What is it? It's definitely Sam Ellinger. The fans have been clamoring for. I mean, this has been cultivating on the quarterback carousel since Andrew Luck retired in 2019. So it's kind of like always clamoring to find the guy. I'll be honest, I bought into Carson Wentz last year. I thought he could be someone who works out, and maybe that's an answer for more than a year. That didn't work, and you brought in Matt Ryan with the thought of he could be here for two years, and it took seven games for for that plan to be scrapped. So now, just including myself, Colts fans just thirsty to kind of find some answer. I don't think Sam Ellinger is the guy, but there's excitement to just see someone else for the first time that's not Matt Ryan, and that's not a kind of statue in the pocket where that's been a big issue so far. So it's it's Sam Ellinger dominant. Somehow the Jim Irsay, Dan Snyder, Rivalry, we thought would be kind of more in the spotlight. It's definitely taken a backseat for sure. So for our fans who don't know Sam Ellinger, can you give us kind of a, you know, a brief history of his career so far with the team only been there two years, only preseason really mostly? Uh, just give a, give a quick summary of what, what, what the Colts fans are expecting. It's fascinating, Logan, because he's – he was drafted out of Texas in the sixth round, and he was kind of always deemed to be a project so far, and they took him last year in 2021. And it's interesting because when they brought in Matt Ryan and they have Nick Foles as the backup, they were bringing Sam Ellinger along this year specifically on almost like a two-year development plan mm. where they thought in the preseason, we're going to have Matt Ryan here. He's on a two-year deal. We're going to envision him being here for two years. And so they brought in Nick Foles to be the backup. So they really thought that Sam Ellinger was going to kind of be in the background for most of this year, especially they have a two-year program they work with a quarterback coach where it's kind of building up arm strength and kind of having him 
potentially develop to be the guy in 2024 if everything goes right. And now we're sitting here again, seven games into the 2022 season, and it's like, oh, hey, Sam, you're up now. So <laughs> there's a lot of questions about his readiness, his his arm strength, his ability to read a defense. He's more mobile, so that should help, especially in the short term here with this offensive line that can't block anyone. But when it comes to like actually running a, a pro-style NFL offense and kind of having real success, Logan, it's going to be tough to kind of watch, and it's, it's there's more doubts, let's say, than, than questions or confidence. So let me ask both of you guys this, because, Logan, I know you've watched the tape at this point to get ready. Ryan, you've been watching it all year. Uh, what is the problem with this Colts offense where Ryan leads the NFL in sacks taken, also leads in fumbles and interceptions? Is it a Matt Ryan issue? Is it an offensive line issue? Because, I mean, like we saw last week, the difference that a quarterback can make, that it's not always the O-line. Because, in fact, the O-line had its worst game in a while last week for the Commanders and only gave up one sack. Had Carson Wentz been playing, it's probably six or seven. Uh, so <laughs> going from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger, like, what has been the issue so far where he has gotten hit so much? Ryan, I'll let you start, and then Logan pick up with what you've seen on tape. Matt Ryan is to blame for sure, and his ball security has been bad, but this Colts offense line's regressed. Like, myself and George, the co-host of the Blue Horseshoe Pod, we've been kind of calling for Chris Strausser, the offensive line coach's job, for a while now because you can't have what is the highest-paid offensive line in the NFL this year, have an all-pro-level guard in Quinn Nelson who— I would consider coming in this year one of the best just overall football players in the NFL. Regress. You have a Pro Bowl center, Ryan Kelly. Regress. You have a Pro Bowl caliber right tackle, Braden Smith. Everyone's been bad. So it's the like Matt Ryan's not been very good, don't get me wrong, but when you're getting hit as much as he has, when you're getting, when you can't even call a 10 yard play because there's not enough time and confidence to, to be able to execute that, it's a major issue. And Honestly, I don't know, Craig like and Logan, why this offensive line is so bad. Like, I don't think that they all forgot how to play football or all forgot how to block in one year. I think it's a lot of it. It's a scheme and kind of how they're being taught. And it just all adds up to five guys being bad. Two are total projects that have failed so far at left tackle and right guard. And no one right now seems to either trust each other or be able to kind of, you know, get into a situation where they can at least win their one-on-one matchups. And that's led to Matt Ryan getting under pressure. It's led to him kind of forcing balls that shouldn't be there and being loose to the football. And that's why you have, you know, 11 or 12 turnovers, I should say, in seven games. That's been the biggest thing. So I would say it's more on the offensive line for sure, but Matt Ryan's not helped himself with some bad turnovers. Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this on the show a ton. Like, it is, there is like a uh, symbiotic relationship there between pressures, how the quarterback's playing in the offensive line. But I do agree with Ryan. I think when you turn on the film, you know, guys that you expect to be playing at a high level aren't playing at a high level. Like, uh, the guy that sticks out to me is Quentin Nelson. He's just not quite the same guy that he's been. And you see that, you know, like in my time in the league and then kind of covering the, this team now, like, you see guys who have like a hyper physical style and eventually it just kind of falls off. Like they lose the ability to kind of be this, this, this animal all the time. You know, the athleticism still there, but that, that pop, that explosion has gone. Um, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned Kelly, I think he's playing fine. You know, centers are hard to evaluate because they're oftentimes uncovered in the front, but the, the left tackle Smith is, is not the same player or the right tackle Smith, Braden Smith, is that his name, Ryan? Um, is not the same guy that he's been, you know, and he's really struggled. They bring in Matt Pryor from Philadelphia, who is a big man, but inconsistent at tackle, probably a better guard, but he's kind of playing out of 
position a lot and kind of moving around the front. They're trying to get the combinations to work. They're starting Dennis Kelly, who's a guy who was, was kind of the perennial backup in Tennessee, who's fine, but again, he's 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 a perennial backup for a reason. Like he doesn't bring any kind of anything super exciting to the group. And um, you know, there were some times where he looks a little bit soft with his sets. And I just think it's kind of an aggregate of that. Like, you know, one of the things we've seen here in Washington is just how inconsistency in the people on the field affects the confidence in the group, right? And so I don't think they're bad football players necessarily I don't think they have great chemistry you know Ryan talked about the coach the offensive line coach I do think they have like a very very simplified running scheme and I think that is something that is very uh detrimental to them being effective in terms of running the football when they can't run the football I don't care how good you are in the NFL you don't want to be pass protecting for 60 snaps snaps a game and I think that's what they did two weeks ago and that's just that's just a poor that's a poor approach you know like that's not how offensive linemen are supposed to be functioning in the NFL at the moment so I think there's a lot of things Um, I would expect quite honestly depending on Sam Ellinger that the group to play a little bit better because I think they'll lean on Taylor a little bit more I think they'll be more RPO I think they'll be more um, kind of get the ball out of your hand quick type stuff which is going to elevate that group um so i think it is a combination of both but i just think the group hasn't played that well the offensive line logan that's actually what i wanted to go to next the play calling um because ryan it doesn't make any sense to me why matt ryan has been throwing so many times he threw for 37 attempts in the first two games of the season both games and that's his season low He's thrown it in the 40s, 50s, damn near 60 times a game. And you have Jonathan Taylor, arguably the best running back in the NFL, there. So what have the coaches been saying about why that has been the case? It's weird to say, but the pass-first offense right now is the best formula for this Colts for for success because they can't run the ball. It's mind-boggling and it's frustrating, but you watch us here early on, like, even with having one of, if not the best running back in the NFL and Jonathan Taylor, there's no holes open. And like for Jonathan Taylor, sometimes to get like a, a four yard gain, he'll have to, you know, make two or three guys miss just getting the ball out of the backfield in order to just fall forward and get a gain. So it's getting to the point like early in the season where myself and George both like just abandon the run. Like they can't establish the run. There's getting no push. You mentioned before, Logan, like, you know, when you have a physical style of play like Quentin Nelson used to playing. He's just getting beat. You have a left tackle that's, you know, basically piecemeal together this entire season, whether it's been you know, Dennis Kelly who's starting now, but whether it was Matt Pryor before who's never been a left tackle in his career and they, they thought this offseason he's going to be the answer at left tackle. That's not the case. They had another kind of piecemeal at right guard and, and Danny Pinter. They moved that around. So two out of the five offensive line positions are nowhere near secure to begin with. Then you have guys playing out of positions. You're moving them around, but there's just absolutely no push on this offensive line whatsoever. And the only really time the Colts have been able to establish some sort of run game has really been week one against the Texans. And that was in the second half because they started going no huddle and started kind of pushing the tempo on the Texans, getting them tired out. And that's when the the holes opened up. But otherwise, you know, if it's like a third and one, like there's not a lot of belief that they are getting that first down. In large part, it's not Jonathan Taylor's fault. There's just no holes open whatsoever. And that's what's leading to this pass first offense where the best offensive performance for the Colts this season was two weeks against Jacksonville where you had Matt Ryan throw the ball 58 times. Like that's It's a quick passing game where it has to set up the run, and that's just how bad this offense line is when it comes to moving people out of the way to get holes open for the run game. Yeah, it has been interesting to watch. I think, you know, one of the things when you watch the Colts, you expect a certain caliber of running game, and, like, that just hasn't been there. And one of the things I think 
you know, this, if, if I was a, a member of the staff, I'd say, hey, we need to look at we're running a lot of inside zone. And inside zone is very, very taxing on the group. you got to get a lot of movement. And I think, you know, you can, like we've talked about, Craig, you can do some things from a motion standpoint, from a formation standpoint, to kind of alleviate some of those high leverage situations for that offensive line. So, uh, you know, I think that's part of it. Because, like, when you watch, like, um, you, met, you mentioned Matt Pryor in that conversation. Like, he's a big physical son of a gun and he can move people off the ball but it just like when you know that it's going to be you know 22 23 inside zone right up your face like guys can adjust for that linebackers trigger a little bit quicker there's line stunts and it becomes really hard to pick up and you see some of that and obviously i don't want to say that jonathan taylor he's been injured a little bit over the course of the season i think that's an important thing to note but he also you see the burst it's still there he's getting hit in the backfield quite a bit i think there was a statistic i saw that he's he has like the um he's like the shortest time like uh from handoff to hit is like the shortest time in the NFL, something like that. So obviously they're they're having a hard time with run throughs. They're having a hard time with line movement, um, and that's that's part of it. He still has the burst when he is healthy, but again, been banged up quite a bit and just hasn't had the same kind of. I think he you know he had he pretty good uh, like five and a half yards per carry last week, which is a good statistic to see. But um, yeah, man, they're 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 having a tough uh, a tough go. So that brings me to my question with Sam Ellinger: Do you think that? A running quarterback, a quarterback that is has designed runs, elevates this group, or do you think it becomes harder with a guy who's not familiar with the offense and the pass-first kind of nature that Matt Ryan brought? I know. I think it definitely helps, too, because I think also part of the reason for, for the lack of success in the run game is that there is no respect for the depot whatsoever, whether mm. it's Matt Ryan's arm or just the fact that they can't protect long enough for him to you know have receivers run deep routes. So you have 10 of the 11 guys like within 10 yards line of scrimmage. That also hurts trying to establish a run game. You have so many guys close uh, to the line of scrimmage who can't blow in and off the ball. And now at least you have a threat in Sam Ellinger where, again, I don't think he's going to be you know lighting the commander secondary up with you know 40-yard bombs down the field. That's definitely not his game for sure. But at least if you just bring a threat where he can you know hurt you on the edge or if he's doing a, you know uh, an RPO or you know reading the outside linebacker, there's a threat or a thought that he could keep it himself and run around the edge. It, that has to help the run game and, and help open up more holes for, for Jonathan Taylor. Just give that defense a pause because with Matt Ryan, I mean, you guys know he's not going anywhere. He's right. a statue in the... In the in the pocket, so there's no real threat of him moving with his legs. So now at least if you have the threat on the outside, we have to kind of more protect the width of the field rather than just the length. It should help spread the defense out enough to where Jonathan Taylor should see a little bit more of a daylight. And that's really all I need, just you know, a crack of daylight for him to kind of burst a big run. But it definitely, I think, should help this week compared to what we've seen so far through the first seven games. By the way, that yards per contact stat, uh, Colts third worst in the league. 0.89 yards per contact or yards uh, per rush before contact uh, for context. The best is the Jaguars at two and a half. That's uh, not good, guys. No, not it's, good. Uh, it's not great. By the way, uh, Washington only 1.09. That's six worse <laughs> in the league. So just some some excellent line play that we're talking about in the run game. Uh, those stats, courtesy of True Media and Pro Football Focus. Uh on the defensive side, obviously Shaq Leonard is at the center of everything, except for Shaq's been out. Uh, and Zaire Franklin, let's go Orange, uh, has been excellent. Yeah. Uh, we talked to Zaire on the show earlier this week on the radio show. So if anybody wants that, check out YouTube, check out uh, the podcast feed, etc. for the full interview. But um, how has this, this uh, Colts defense held up without him? Zaire's obviously been a tackling machine, second in the NFL, and tackles behind Roquan Smith. So how have they held up, though, as a unit? Because, uh, I mean, we just talked about all their offensive struggles, and yet they're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. It's like they're a 500 football team, which is this year in the NFL, 
right there uh, in contention. <laughs> yeah. That's the Manning Park. It's like record-wise, they're right in the mix. And defensive play-wise, they've been re- pretty good for the most part. Like I said, Jack Leonard's played two quarters so far out of a possible seven games. So he's barely been on the field. But really the one – like they've been pretty good. They, they've For the most part, they've stopped the run. For the most part, they've done a good job, uh, especially their back seven. I think it's the strongest uh, unit on this team. But the one area they've been lacking that I think, especially this week against you know Taylor Heineke and the Commanders, that they're going to have to try to exploit is takeaways. Like this team, the last few years, their their calling card and their bread and butter has been forcing uh, forcing turnovers and kind of getting the offense extra opportunities. Because whether it was Matty Bufus in the past or this year with Gus Bradley, there's not a lot of schemes or a lot of blitzes, I should say, they're going to confuse the defense. They kind of really, for the most part, rush four guys. Sometimes they'll blitz with five, but for the most part, it is kind of one of those zone defenses where they keep everything in front of them and they hustle to the ball and they try to get tips and overthrows and punch the ball out. And that's really the one area that Shaq Leonard is elite at. He's one of the best guys at stripping the ball, one of the best you know guys at reading a quarterback's eyes and kind of jumping a route. And the Colts defense, for how solid they've been so far this season, one of the reasons why their record's not better than it is outside of the offense is that they haven't really been able to make that clutch, splash turnover kind of truly change the game on its head. And that's really where if he's able to come back this week, I think that's the one area that the, he could really help this team. Because otherwise, like you mentioned, Zaire Franklin stepped in in terms of tackling-wise, stepped in nicely. He's been eating him up. You know, outside of a few blown coverages, this, this defense has done a, a really solid job so far uh, in the pass and the run. It's just they're not causing turnovers and in this scheme especially and with these kind of players where they're kind of they play more fast than anything else you really need to be able to kind of force turnovers that's the one thing they have not been able to do so far this year so you said the back seven is the strength of the team is that I don't want to make sure I understood what you said there Ryan yeah like their secondary expression I like if Shaq Leonard's out there I think the linebackers and their secondary is the the strength so far they've put money into the front set uh the front four I should say but still a little bit inconsistent that's what I was going to say, because you get a guy like you know Stewart last week who has 12 tackles. You get uh, DeForest Buckner, who's maybe, to my money, probably a top five interior defensive player. You've invested, you know, Quidi Pay has been hurt, obviously, but you have all these mm-hmm. kind of you know, mid-round edge players who are solid football players. Is there a reason that that hasn't come together, or like, what's your take on that? It's just, from a scheme-wise, I can't say, Logan, to be honest, but it's just more inconsistency, especially when it comes to edge rush and getting pressure mm-hmm. on the court. Like, we've seen it. Um, but like you mentioned, the interior with DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart has been absolutely tremendous. And again, really outside of one half, the first half against the Titans a few weeks ago where, where Derrick Henry ran for like 100 yards and just they couldn't stop a nosebleed, they've been really solid interior and not have allowed any team to establish the run. But the thing is too, like as you know, like especially on, on those passing downs, you have to be able to get after the quarterback on a consistent basis. And that's one of the areas that they have struggled with consistently. They've had flashes. They've had you know even a game or two where they're getting consistent pressure, but they brought in Unique Ngakwe in this offseason to kind of be that guy to get consistent pressure. He's not been able to do that so far. Quiddy Pay has been their most consistent edge rusher, but like you mentioned, he's missed the past few games with injury. So it's just the, the lack of consistency in terms of getting that pressure on the quarterback to really kind of help you know force those extra turnovers or help you know speed up the quarterback that they've been unable so far to really do on a consistent basis, which is why like even though they put a lot of money and there's a lot of big names on the defensive line, I would still look at the secondary for my money and say that's been out of the three mm. units on the defense, the best and most consistent so far uh, through seven games. All right, last thing. Uh, special teams has been huge in the last two games for the commanders. Can your punt returner actually catch punts? <laughs> catch, yes. Now, do anything with the return? No, but they should be that able to. That would be an to, upgrade to compared to Chicago catch. and Green Bay because <laughs> yeah. we've had two muff punts that have helped the commanders win games the last two weeks. That is true. Well, the, good, the, the issue with the Colts, I is Matt Hawk can't kick a 
punt right now past 30 yards. So if you guys oh. can catch punts, you know, you'll get probably good field position, and that's, you know, you know, you'll get better field position on the other side. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Dax Milne's been great at catching punts. Uh, again, not, not the world's greatest returner, uh, but he's, he's, he's gets you forward momentum a little bit. I mean, he catches the ball, though. You yeah, know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm important. saying. So why you got? I mean, I'm a football nerd, Ryan. So I don't. Before you go, Craig wants to get you out of here, but I want. I got one more question. Receivers, skill position mm-hmm. guys. You got a lot of talented pieces there. What's the expectation there with Sam Ellinger? Because you got Michael Pittman, I think has like the lowest drop rate in the NFL. Alec Pierce looks like he's got shades of big play to him. You got Jelani Woods. You got all these pieces in there. Like what? Like what are your thoughts on that group? Have they come together in a nice way for you? They, the receivers and, and tight ends, especially. I've, I've, I thought like if you talk about from week one to week seven, they have been the biggest jump and they made the best development so far over the course of the season. Because there's outside of Michael Pittman Jr., like you mentioned, a lot of these names, so many guys are unproven and so many guys are being asked this year to take on roles they've never had before. Jelani Woods is a rookie. Molly Cox is their starting tight end, but really in Indy, he's always been the second or third guy. Now he's kind of vaulted in that starting role this year. You have guys like Alec Pierce is a rookie coming on in. Paris Campbell, who's been with the Colts for four years, but never healthy whatsoever. Those guys have all developed, all been able to kind of fit in really nicely. And they do kind of fit what the Colts want to do. Like The Colts are a short to intermediate passing team. They want to get the ball out fast. And again, that's a lot of design of Matt Ryan did well, but also too now the product of just not having an offensive line that could give him time. And and Sam Ellinger, again, he's not going to burn you down the field. He's going to be one of the guys, you know, three-step drop, boom, get the ball out. Mm. The Colts fit that really well like Michael Pittman Jr. is a very physical receiver Alec Pierce you're starting to see now develop into kind of one of those guys where you just throw a jump ball and he'll win it more times now he's a big body receiver Jelani Woods is huge Molly Cox is big Kylan Granson is undersized for a tight end but is shifty and is able to get open kind of over the middle they have Paris Campbell has been a reliable guy especially on third down over the middle of the field they have really developed nicely and again kind of fit what this offense wants to do in terms of quick hitters slants you know crosses over the middle curls they fit that mold really well, so I've been impressed. It's kind of the frustrating part, too, when you see this Colts offense struggling as much as it has. We thought if they were going to struggle, it would be because the, the receivers and tight ends just failed to kind of live mm. up to expectations or fit into the role. And it's really kind of been the other, other way. They've actually right. developed nicely. It's been the quarterback and the O-line that's haven't given them the time and or the, the, you know, the play that's necessary, uh, necessary to, to score more points. Anything yeah, else? I mean, uh, Logan, no, no, I was just your, saying, your like, it's... It, it feels very similar, doesn't it? It feels very similar to Washington. It's like almost exactly the same. Like defense is I think I think the Colts defense was coming into the season supposed to be very good, but offensively, struggling quarterback, backup, struggling offensive line, good skill position players. It feels like they're the same team, like they're looking in a mirror a little bit. It's offensively, one hundred percent. Is that what yeah. you felt, Ryan, as you've thought about this game this week? Yes. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but you have a score prediction. Like, I think 2017 is going to be like, I think it's going to be a lower score. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of like some I feel like that's been my prediction sledding. for the score the last like four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> when you got bad offenses, you get low scores, you know? Yeah. So. And I believe, is this the game of the week, by the way? I was oh, trying to look it up. God. I think this is, is this <laughs> I think build this is before the, the year is the yeah, game, I think this is the game of the four, week? 425, yeah. Like, hey, let's get our... Our guy. Well, the funny thing is, they definitely don't have the A announced team. Uh, all due respect to, I think it's Brandon Gaudian who's calling the game and whoever the analyst is. Uh, but they did. They did not get the the Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson treatment, even if they got the time slot. Yeah, that they shifted those guys. If they were, <laughs> I, I think in the preset, it could be wrong that this was slated to be. But if they were two, three, three or four weeks ago, they said, "All right, scrap that. We're going somewhere else." 
Yeah, uh, there's actually there's multiple 425 games this week, so uh, I guess maybe I know the, 49ers Rams, so maybe that was it. But yeah, I think I think 405 uh, Titans Texans is the only one that's like in an exclusive window. Uh, for I'm guessing 49ers Rams probably or even Giants Seahawks at this point might have uh, the Fox A team, but uh, it's definitely not this game, even though <laughs> yeah, it's at 425 sure. in the afternoon. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to hear Ryan ask me questions, uh, I'll be on their Ooh. pod, uh, which is coming out. Uh, what are you guys putting that out Friday as well? Friday morning. Yes, sir. Excellent. So roles are going to be reversed. Yep. So looking forward to that. <laughs> we'll tape that later today. Uh, but by the time you've heard this today was yesterday. So it's out, uh, in all the same places that our pod is just search for the blue horseshoe pod. Ryan Hickey, everybody. Ryan, thanks buddy. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. A lot of fun. And let's root for touchdowns. That's it. I don't care what the scores. Let's just root for some offense. (laughs) Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Uh, Logan, let's uh, let's dive deeper into the tape. When you watch this Colts offense, what do you try to take out of it, knowing that the quarterback is going to be different, Sam Ellinger in for Matt Ryan? Like how how are you approaching it, and how do you think they're approaching it? Jack Del Rio actually had a pretty interesting comment yesterday talking about how it's hard to prepare for a quarterback who you have nothing but preseason tape on. Yeah, it's it's extremely challenging. Like I kind of was kind of, you know, putting myself in Jack's shoes, kind of saying, what would I do here? And I think the offense could be drastically different than what we've seen. They do a lot of stuff from the gun. I think that's a Matt Ryan preference at this point of his career. You know, traditionally, I think um, Taylor, the running back, does better from kind of the dot style runs most running backs do because you're balanced up. You can get downhill. You can stretch the run. So that might be a different approach just from that. You might get some different formations you haven't seen. You know, they've been more... Like, you know, Ryan was saying, they've been more, uh, they have some very talented receiver, kind of receiving talent. Um, they've been an 11. I think that's a Matt Ryan thing. I think that could be 12, 21, 22, even 13. That could be on the table here very shortly. So, again, you really have no idea what the offense is going to look like. I'm sure they have some type of uh, court design quarterback run they're putting up. If you look at the preseason, that was something that popped up with him quite a bit. I think, um, you know, uh, Reich is a RPO guy. Matt Ryan is not an RPO quarterback. So, you look back at last year's offense and you say, Matt Reich with Carson was a big RPO guy. So I would imagine some of that probably carries over because Sam at Texas did RPO stuff. So find ways to get him comfortable. I think you'd see an uptick in that. But still, even if you're accounting for, you know, let's say seven RPO plays and five quarterback design runs, 
Like, what does the pass game look like? I don't think it can look the same as what it's looked with uh, with Matt because I think Matt does a pretty good job in terms of understanding, you know, timing and rhythms and getting the ball out. And he and for all of his struggles, like that stuff looked pretty sharp. And I will say that, you know, Pittman's a very good receiver, but doesn't create a lot of separation and relies a lot on concept. They run a lot of like, um, you know, like we're going to spot like, you know, corner and then the outside re- receiver is going to sit down at five yards and just kind of easy dink and dunks picks they run a lot of mesh on third and three like that stuff comes up quite a bit so um you know like there's nothing at least with matt ryan at the helm there was nothing that really threatened you vertically so maybe you kind of say like let's let's try to kill uh ellinger as a runner let's kill taylor and see if he can push the ball down the field that being said they do have some weapons that can get that can get behind the defense so that is something to consider again to back to your original question i know i kind of rambled on there there's a lot that can come out of this. And when you don't have any film on anybody, it, it makes it very, very challenging. And I think if I was Jack, I'd say, what do we do really well? And let's kind of get to that and be, be ourselves at the highest level. Yeah, which I feel like is typically his approach. Um, but it is yeah. an interesting it is an interesting week for sure. because And, and also to try to do this film study because... Ryan, even in his last couple of years in Atlanta, was getting criticized for not pushing the ball down the field. It was kind of like, does he still have that in him? Obviously, a guy is a former MVP uh, who, at one point in his career, could throw with anybody in the league. Um, but is that still in him at this point? And, and it was pretty clear uh, that it was not uh, at, based off of his performance so far this year, although the offensive line and the time to protect for that kind of stuff uh, was also a factor in that equation. Um, but Ellinger... I, I think you have like nailed the approach. I, I would not want Jonathan Taylor to beat me because they're going to definitely try to get back to him more. And they haven't been very good running the ball. And Washington's been fantastic at stopping the run. So if that can continue, you make Ellinger into a thrower, make him beat you. you maybe you give up one or two explosives. But as long as they're not touchdowns, like do you trust a young quarterback to execute in the red zone, especially when Washington's been really good in the red zone? I I kind of think the plan has got to be do exactly what you have been doing and trust that it's going to continue to work because you're playing good, sound, fundamental football. And that works against everybody but the Josh Allens and Patrick Mahomes of the world. Yeah, and I think – yeah, so I, I think that's got to be the approach to a certain extent. I think you try to anticipate what are what formations do they like to run the football out of. I might even go back to last year when they were under center just to tick more, just to get a vibe for kind of what that offense was. And I would expect it to have shades of that. Obviously, the quarterback run stuff tends to be better from the gun when the quarterback's um, – when the quarterback's offset, so you can read that backside player, so you can read and throw that RPO. So maybe they feel like they don't need to change it too much, but I, I would think that they would have to get into some different personnel groupings. And the other thing that uh, is important to be aware of Sam Ellinger is in the preseason, all of his explosive plays come off of him breaking the pocket. So, you know, in some ways, it's almost more important this week than it was against Chicago to keep him in the pocket because I think he's fine in the pocket. Like, I mean, he wears number four. He's kind of a smaller guy. He looks just like Taylor Heineke was on the field. They kind of move the same. Like, in th- so think about how you would try to stop Taylor. And to me, it's like keep him in the pocket. You know, force him to be on schedule as much as possible and limit the run game. And I think that same formula applies here. I think the problem then becomes, well, what what is Indianapolis going to be doing outside of Sam Ellinger? Like, what like what does their run game look like? 
what is their uh, what does their play pass game look like? Because I think they'll probably do a little bit more of that, obviously. And that's where you get a little bit unsure about what's happening in terms of and that's why it's hard to prep for obviously it's because i think you get kind of who sam ellinger is i think you get kind of how they're going to want to use him but what is the what does the jonathan taylor package look like and then what does the play pass stuff look like to get you know michael Pittman, who's a very good player and then you know we talked about this with ryan but alec pierce is a he's been an explosive player for them and i know he doesn't get a ton of touches but like that's something that again like green bay for example didn't really have in their offense so how do you manage those elements? Um, because this offense does have some playmakers. Yeah. Um, one thing that I also wanted to ask you, uh, just in general about Ellinger is what do you make of the decision to go to him? Right. Because they have Matt Ryan and they bring him in, whatever, but they also have Nick Foles. And so they have like another proven veteran who was the backup and they jump Ellinger in the line. And you talk about the, the, the core or the, the parallels, the corollaries back and forth between the Colts and the commanders right now. It feels very much like some of the Sam Howell conversation. Now, my pushback when folks have brought that up on the radio, callers, whatever, is like Howell's been here for eight months. Ellinger's been there for a year and a half. That is ultimately the difference is that we talk about, is that guy ready? Ellinger might not be as ready as he would be next year, uh, but he's he's had a lot longer in the system than Howell has. But what do you make of that decision to make the leap from like the franchise perspective. It sounds like from the comments from Reich that Ursay was certainly involved in the decision as an owner. And to me, that's actually good ownership. It's the owner going in and being like, Hey, we, uh, we got to move forward. And if it doesn't work out, then like it's okay. Or, you know, it won't, maybe it won't be okay with Reich and he's going to lose his job anyway. But um, (laughs) it's certainly to me, like someone, an owner who's looking out for the long-term health of the franchise and is willing to potentially be really bad uh, if it helps them bottom out and maybe get a great quarterback next year in the draft and and move forward uh, as opposed to playing the veteran carousel again. Yeah, I think, I mean, so to me, it's kind of, you, you had some really good points there. So let's like uh, pin down on some of that stuff. You, you mentioned how, you know, why is this different than Sam Howell? To me, it's because he's been in the system. Like this is the only system he's been in in the NFL. He's been here for a little over a year, year and a half, whatever it is. And I think that's super significant because he's speaking the language. He understands where the ball's supposed to go. This is kind of the same benefit you get from Taylor Heineke, not as extreme because Taylor's been in this offense for six years of his career, but you do have that same type of benefit. It. I think when you look at the offensive line specifically, I think they, they're they not playing well, but the quarterback could definitely help them out in some situations. So when you look at Nick Foles, again, a guy who holds the ball for ages back there, Matt Ryan was holding the ball for a long time. That's not necessarily his fault. I think, you know, I mentioned the receiving group. Sometimes they have a hard time creating separation because Michael Pittman, for example, is a bigger body guy. I think more tight end very similar to Alan Lazard uh, a little bit more shifty got some more route running nuance to his game but that kind of guy and they're not going to be wide open all the time so I think that's that's an element of that and so I think with a guy like Sam is what you're hoping is that he can get the ball out of his hand quickly and he can he can he can do something creative back there unlike what the other two guys do much like Taylor Heineke like we were talking about this last week when Taylor was going to get the start and basically came to the conclusion like he just gives you a play a little bit more playmaking ability back there now are you gonna have to ride the roller coaster yes i think we saw that last week with green bay first seven seven five seven throws not great and then kind of finds a rhythm you know making plays elevating the offensive line executing on third down 
And I think that's what they're probably expecting from Sam Ellinger. And, you know, maybe they like Sam in the building. I've read a whole bunch of stuff about him that they like his leadership. They like what he brings. And maybe part of you in the back of your mind says, can this guy be the guy? Can we build around him much like they did with um, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia? Now, Mm -hmm. I think Jalen Hurts is a much more physically gifted player. Uh, but you know, like from what I understand, the leadership qualities are there, the mobility qualities are there. It's just about that arm strength and what that looks like um, against real NFL defense. Because we talked about this before too, is understanding that it's a different level of speed of the game, right? And he's going to have a hard time adjusting that too. But uh, um, I think I think it's the mobility thing, the offensive line, all those things factoring in to go with Sam Ellinger as opposed to Nick Foles. Yeah, and the thing with you know, it's always funny when people try to make these types of comparisons and. You know, I'm not saying like you're doing this because I think you caveated it well, but like Jalen Hurts was a Heisman winner uh, right. at Oklahoma and, and awesome at Alabama, has a really, really high caliber NFL arm, uh, even if he wasn't known as a passer, known as a guy who's a runner. But like the arm strength is there. It was just like, can he right. read the defenses? And, you know, he used his legs and his running abilities in a very well designed offense to learn how to be able to do that at the NFL speed and win along the way. And now he can do both. And he's one of the best players in, in the NFL um, and maybe the front runner for MVP uh, so far this season. By the same token, Sam Ellinger was mediocre at Texas. Like I always, always do kind of chuckle when you have these guys that it's like, oh, well, could this guy be awesome in the NFL? And I'm like, well, what was he in college? Right. Because Sam Ellinger wasn't that good in college. Texas hasn't been good forever. I mean, he was, he was fine. Like he won some games, he did some stuff, and it's it's all dependent on so many different factors. Quarterback play is at all levels. But if a guy couldn't couldn't make it happen in college I do have a hard time believing that he's all of a sudden going to be awesome in the NFL look Patrick Mahomes was a mixed bag at Texas Tech and he's the best quarterback in uh in maybe the history of the league but um I do have a hard time seeing a guy like Ellinger as a sixth round pick all of a sudden being the guy but I give the Colts credit for at least taking the shot and finding out yeah, and I think you bring up – I love the fact you brought up Patrick Mahomes. Again, Allen and Buffalo is much mm-hmm. the same way, right? But the thing about those guys is when you turn on the tape, they have elite tools. Right. They have very, they have elite arm strength. They have elite releases. They have excellent kind of mobility, kind of intangibles in the pocket. And Sam Ellinger, when you watch him, he's a, he's a solid college player who's limited by arm strength. And he's not even – he's a good athlete, but he's not a tremendous athlete. And I think that's something, you know, that, again, that's kind of odd about the decision. So, like, I'm kind of giving the Colts organization the benefit of the doubt. Because like, when you watch film, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, he's like maybe a, maybe a backup, maybe a high-end backup, whatever, however you want to characterize that. But I think there's something else going on in terms of the leadership element. You know, guys must really like him. I tried to ask Ryan about it, didn't get the answer we wanted. But there, something else is happening here that either they're trying to tank for the year uh, that seems silly because the division's right there for him or they really think he's got the leadership qualities to kind of get this offense where he needs to go and of the three he's the most mobile so again I, I i think i think fans need to understand that you know when 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 you're talking about guys who aren't good college players that do well in the nfl it's because they have some elite quality that makes them very very special and that's not what he appears to have, right? Even when you watch the preseason, that's not what it looks like. 
I had Ben Solak from The Ringer on the radio show on Wednesday, and Ben wrote a phenomenal piece about it. Was it started and ended with Ellinger, but it was really about the value of mobile quarterbacks. And when you look at EPA, uh, which is one of the the best advanced metrics out there, scrambles are the most valuable play in the league right now. Really, and so the way that. Yeah, like scrambles are are just so incredibly valuable because they often come on third downs. They often get you first downs. And so when you you talk about the points added element of that, it often extends drives that can lead to scores. And so the the pieces in the ringer, it's very much worth anybody listening to this time. Um, And definitely check the Hoffman Show podcast for uh, the interview with Ben. But he thought that was a huge reason why is that, and it's the same can be said for Heineke, right? And his ability to succeed where Carson has failed, that ability to be mobile, extend plays uh, has become so incredibly valuable that, you know, and and teams have, and I wonder if Reich is going to start doing this as well. Teams have started basically on schedule scrambling, right? It's like, Mm. Hey, we're going to roll this guy out. And if the first read's not there, we just tell him to run. And that decision, as opposed to trying to find a check down, uh, has been really rewarding for a guy like Jalen Hurts, for a guy like Josh Allen, uh, for Daniel Jones, who's scrambling at a, at a yeah. by far the highest rate in the NFL. And basically, from what Ben has said, or what Ben said on the show, is like the it seems like the coaching point is don't check down scramble. If what you want yeah. isn't there, just run. And because Jones is such a good runner, it's often more valuable than a two yard check down. Yeah, and I, I'm really glad you brought up the the Jones comparison because I think athletically Ellinger is probably very comparable to Jones. You know, obviously I think Jones mm-hmm. is a better better arm, but you know he's six three, he's two hundred and thirty pounds, and he runs a four seven. And I think you know Jones is about those same measurables, right? Jones like, is a so, little bit faster. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think he ran a four seven at the combine, but it, you know, like again, he's not like he's not. Lamar Jackson. He's not Jalen Hurts. If you can look it up, just so we're fact checked here and all worked out here. But so I think that that again, like I always think of these scrambling quarterbacks as needing to be a certain speed of a four five four four guy. But obviously there has been some sex, success recently with guys who are not necessarily the fastest players in the whole world, right? And uh, they just understand how to scramble. They have a physicality to them that allows them to execute at a high level so i think um you know as much as i kind of say ah you know he's not that fast he doesn't have great that great of an arm i think you bring up a fantastic point craig that when a quarterback does scramble it really puts the defense in a bind and i think um i think that is uh again something that if i'm jack i'm really going to try and mitigate because like when i watch the film his arm doesn't scare me i'm not like oh gosh we got to defend right you know, Patrick Mahomes level of field here. So really managing him as a runner, keeping him in the pocket, eliminating explosive plays, because when you look at the Colts passing offense, at least with Matt Ryan, it's, it's really effective between probably three and 10 yards. And only recently have they started kind of taking those shots to Alec Pierce and uh, the other kid from Ohio State. I forget his uh, name. Paris Campbell, yeah. Yeah, right? That's where those big shots have – that's been a recent development. And I'm not sure he can get the ball down there much better than Matt Ryan can. So it'll be really interesting to see how they manage him as a runner for sure. Daniel Jones, 4-8 at, at the combine, 4-6-7 at his pro day. So. so, But he did have that 80-yard run where he tripped and fell at the end. So, you know, well, he he's, I mean, that's what I'm NFL saying. That's like, he's sneaky fast, right? He's got that long stride. And sometimes when that, that measured time doesn't show up on film, they can still uh, kill you, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of, you know, like even Tom Brady, who ran like a 5-5 or whatever, yeah. when he scrambles, it kills you. Because like you said, it's for first downs. It adds possession. It's a big deal, so... 
Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I'm Craig Hoffman. Speaking of scramblers, Taylor Heineke uh, comes in, gets the win in his first start of the season last week. Logan, when you look at the Colts' defense, what is Heineke in this offense facing? Yeah, so I actually, it's it's an interesting group to watch because I think they're pretty talented. I think, you know, like Ryan did a good job of kind of the interior group for them is very, very good. They're, they're disruptive. Um, they're good pass rushers. It, it's a good group. It feels very much like kind of Payne and Allen, right? They're, you know, one's a little bit better than the other one. They're probably more athletic, but a little less gritty than the Payne and Allen combination. But that's kind of the that's kind of the environment in there. I think at the linebacker position, they got a lot of young players who are fast to the football. You know, um, what's the, what's his name is leading the NFL in tackles, but I think he has some limitations as a player. The kid from Syracuse, what's his Zaire name? Zaire Franklin, yeah. Yeah, Zaire Franklin, right? He has some limitations, right? You know, I think that everyone sees that tackle number. They say, oh my gosh. But, you know, a little bit inconsistent in coverage. Kind of got the Jamin Davis, uh, you know, linebacker vibe that every linebacker in the NFL has at the moment where they bust in some coverages. Are they in the right spot? Are they fitting the right gap? But a very productive, athletic young group that you like in the back end is very solid. There is space in the defense. Like they run a lot of cover three in the field. They run a lot of cover two quarters when they get in the red zone. So they're a little bit predictable in that way. Against Tennessee, it was all single high safety because they were playing that eight-man box. Um, and they were pretty good at stopping the run you know they've run a four-man front so there's a little bit more space in the run game the double teams are a little bit better they're relying on the linebackers and the safeties to be a bigger part of that run fit much like here in washington um it's a it's in that way it's a very similar defense um but i, I think it's a good group it's probably the best group that they've faced definitely probably since like philadelphia i would say like it, it's a good group it and again it it's got hints of of um the packers right like the front's mm. probably like it's an underrated group. I think people don't talk about them in a high level because their offense has been so bad. But when you watch them, like they're physical, they're fast, they're very, very solid. And like Ryan said, I didn't even think about this, but the back end's been playing really, really well. And um, yeah, you know, it's good. They, um, well, I mean, they're obviously well coached, and that's the thing. You know, I was talking, when we talked to Zaire earlier this week, I asked him about Eberflus, who obviously is now in mm. Chicago, but the impact. And he's like, man, that guy taught us so much. Um, mm. to, taught us how to really see and read the game, and and you can see that in their linebacker play. It's no no uh, mystery why. Shaq Leonard became an all pro as a second rounder and why Zaire has been able to be really productive uh, as a as a seventh rounder stepping in this year, starting for the first time uh, on a full-time basis. And then now they have Gus Bradley, who previously has been one of the best defensive coordinators in football for a long time. So you go from Eberflus to Bradley and it's like, yeah, they're, they're well coached and get how to play defense. Not shocking at all. Yeah, so Gus Bradley being the defensive coordinator makes so much sense. They are in a ton of cover three and he's one of the kind of I don't want to say dinosaur, but very traditional in his that Seattle approach of running cover three. So you know what they're going to be in on first and second down for the most part. Obviously, sprinkle a little bit of variety there, but like that's an advantage for us offensively. And then they get a little creative on third down with rush packages, but they're still in a cover three structure. So again, I always think that it's easier offensively when you know what the defense is going to do, even though they execute at a really high level. Um, Terry is headed home. Uh, this is his first game ever playing back in Indianapolis since he left to go to Ohio State. Um, I, I guess as a professional, I should say, uh, because Ohio State would have played there in the Big Ten Championship game basically every year that he was there. Um, <laughs> that is the nature of things for that program. Uh, but first time uh, going back as a professional, what kind of day do you think he can have uh, after his monster day last weekend? 
Man, I think he can have a great day. I think, like we said, they run a lot of cover three, and so does Joe Barry. He likes to run a lot of cover three. You're going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups going vertical down the field. Obviously, there's a tough matchup this week in uh, Stephon Gilmore, who's playing good football, and I think everyone kind of thought he was washed after his time in Carolina, but he's been a very solid pro. And, you know, a solid pro probably is doing it an injustice. He's been playing good football, so good yeah. football player. And so it's going to be challenging again, but I think Terry showed last week going against a guy like Jair – that you know he can make plays versus high-end coverage players and uh, obviously the zone element kind of favors um, the cornerback because they don't have to cover you and all these kind of man-to-man concepts but again I think Terry again just watching him on that comeback and how physically was the football I think that speaks speaks well and I think it just his production is going to come down to again kind of the same thing we saw last week can the offense execute on third down how efficient are they on first down to put them in better situations on second down and third down? And it's going to allow Scott to get to more of his playbook, going to allow Scott to kind of hit some of those shot plays. Scott is a, a lover, a very passionate play caller of getting that explosive play called right when you get past the 50-yard line. If you look mm-hmm. at them historically, like it's, you know, they run those big reverses, they run the double passes, they run the the fake screens, they run the play, the play pass shots there. So, if you never get there, you're not going to take those shots. So I think that'll be beneficial in terms of allowing Terry to be more effective just from a game flow standpoint. But in terms of physically, I think I think Terry, you know, as we've talked about, can do almost anything that he wants on the field. And, you know, because he's so competitive, um, always puts himself in a good position to be successful. Yeah, and I do think that all of the talk about his success and him being in the center of attention is, uh, is an oddly good thing uh, that – they will not forget about him. And that for Taylor, it's top of mind very clearly. Uh, Taylor was asked Wednesday at the podium, well, hey, you've been able to get the ball to Terry more than any other quarterback uh, that he's ever played with. Why? And Taylor's answer was basically, he's our best receiver and I think I should give him a chance. And it's like, yeah, that's that guy. He gets it. He gets it. Good job. (laughs) That guy gets it. Good job. Good job, Taylor Heineke. All right, pregame, countdown to kickoff will be for us starting at 2 o'clock on Sunday. We are two up until kickoff at 425. So you can check us out on the team 980 and 106.7. The fan lock us in starting at 2 p.m. for this 425 kick. We are still planning on doing a postgame pod. Uh, so we will do that after the game and have it out for you Monday morning. Uh, until then, I'll see you all on the radio at three o'clock on Friday. Uh, of course, the Hoffman show Monday through Friday, three to six on the team 980 and always live on the free odyssey app Uh, make sure you subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening right now and we will see you on monday for the review of colts and commanders